All right, Brian, I have a question for you today, man. And it's a question that is fought and died for on the internet. There has been lines drawn in the sand, good sir. I'm so eager to hear this. Where do you stand on pineapple and pizza? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went Pineapple there. Pineapple and pizza. Okay. Oh, yeah. I suppose there's weirder things you could do. You could always put spinach on it or, you know, like broccoli. I mean, Somebody's put broccoli on pizza before. That's Oh, broccoli? Really? The green yeah. little uh, green tree? <laughs> well, give it up. If you steamed it or something, you know, it would be, I think it would be all right. But steamed broccoli on pizza. God almighty, man. What, are you going to put Alfredo Honestly, sauce next as the I, sauce? I, we li- <laughs> you know, we live in a world now where it's like there's not uh it's not binary. There's not a, a boy <laughs> and a girl. There's there's an Xbox you can check now that, that has something else. I don't know what, what exists beyond boy or girl. And... You know, it's it's okay. There's so many acronyms, LGBTG. I, I don't know all of them anymore. And somewhere in there, it's there's a, a, there's a lot of free loving. So basically what I'm saying is if if I'm open to whatever you want to put on your pizza because that's that's what you <laughs> like. You do like, you? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, it's 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 from my personal opinion, it's sweet. I'll I'll eat it. It's it's good. But yeah, we, we I have to be open-minded. We're, this is 2021 now. It's it's uh <laughs> there's there's no boundaries, okay? So it's you got to be accepting of people that want pineapple on their pizza. I, I definitely know that is a hot I, topic though because that's <laughs> that, it just some people are very against it, right? Yeah, it's, I just I'm not going to like berate anybody for getting pineapple on their pizza. I'm not going to think bad about them, but I won't be caught dead with it on my pizza. It's just, it's just not, I don't know. It just seems sacrilegious, you know? Well, well, very much like the rap industry. It's like, it's, it's either you are a fan of Drake or you hate Drake. There's no yeah. in between. You either love him or completely hate him. And yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. Whatever you floats your boat on your pizza is up to you. See, I, I brought that up no because- judgment. <laughs> no judgment, right? I brought that up because when um, I was putting, getting ready to watch today's film, by the way, welcome to Uncovered Cinema, everybody. My name is Will. And I'm Brian. And uh, today we're breaking down Arl Stein's Fear Street, which uh, recently came out on Netflix. It's a three-part series. You can go ahead mm-hmm. and check it out. It's pretty awesome. I've been talking about it since the day it came out. I think it's uh, it, was, it was a really good movie, if not... yeah. The storyline, maybe not so much, but the visuals, the music is amazing. Uh, we're going to dive oh, into dude. it. It gets a little weird when we get to 1666, but we'll, we'll, we'll but dive it, into it. A good it. weird. Like yeah. a good weird. And, and in on- pan flute music, it's, it's yeah. basically it's all they had back then. The best music to listen to during the plague. Mm-hmm. And in honor of 1666, I decided to wear an old timey pilgrim shirt today. Oh, yeah. I am totally repping the old time. All right. Wasn't going to say anything, but you do look a little pirate-esque. It's like uh, that episode of Seinfeld where they wear puffy shirt. Uh, (laughs) There's a whole (laughs) thing about the the white puffy shirts. That's exactly that character is what you're portraying. right, man. I had to get in character, man. I felt it. I lived in the 1666 era. Okay. I had to dress it. (laughs) Well, as you can do with a acid trip that is required to watch these movies. Yeah, uh, so true. yeah, you can you can go for it. What do we uh, got in the news though for us? All right. Well, we have a couple of very exciting things this week in the news. Like, for instance, today on the day that we're recording this, eight twenty three Monday, The Witcher: Nightmare of the Wolf finally came out on Netflix. The animator movie and ho 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 holy cow! I must say it's really good. <laughs> Is a movie or a TV show? Didn't no, it's wasn't a, a TV show series that came out about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, The Witcher has a TV show series that the second season is coming out on December 17th on Netflix. Ah. But they just came out with an animated movie that tells of the fall of the Witcher order and um, basically how uh, humans betrayed the Witchers and how there really isn't any innocent people in this story, you know? 
what I this got a lot of buzz that was generating out when The Witcher came out. I, partly because mm-hmm. I think there's some suave, good-looking guy that's in it. It's kind of like a yeah, a, the swashbuckling Witcher. Yeah, that is. It looks like a, a main character, or a big like almost Matt Matt. Uh, oof, what's his name? Uh, uh, Damon kind of looking s character, right? But if you were to play like a Shaolin oh. prince, or but what is the what's the show about? I've never even watched it. So is it the Witcher like witches or the Witcher TV show? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah. So the Witcher TV show has Henry Cavill. He is ah, um, a, yeah. Superman. Yeah. That's um. A, got it. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. He's he's crazy good, dude. So the Witcher series is based after the Witcher books, which was ma- later made into a video game that oh, follows okay. the adventures of um, these people who hunt monsters. But to become a Witcher, you have to go through this giant process. Most people die in the process. And it, it's a really cool story. In the games, you take place after the fall of the Witcher order. So you're Geralt. And you're alone. You're basically one witcher in a giant area. Sometimes you run across another witcher from a different clan, but mostly you're running by yourself. And this movie uh, is telling the story of how he became by himself. And the TV show is basically telling his story from the time he was an adult into later life Uh, after he's already made himself a known witcher and such. Okay, so having a video... I'm sorry, an animated movie is more mm-hmm. probably more in line with the fact that there was a video game and, and books yeah. about this so it's probably more appropriate media than the overly produced netflix yeah. tv show oh. that is out and about right now definitely they could tell uh, much more intricate and dedicated stories in a animated format than they could in a live action format for sure so yeah. They and they took full advantage of that. That uh, the Witcher movie, The Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf, it just plays just like an animation. It is beautiful. It is well written. Uh, the story, the lore, the uh, world building is all amazing. Uh, it they definitely took their time and they definitely made a film that is worth watching if you're into the Witcher series or want to know more about it. Interesting. Okay. And then we also have a little bit of buzz coming out from the Afghanistan region, right? I know there's a lot of, even more unbelievable is the fact that there's movies and art and and media coming out from that that territory right now, right? Even though it's it's coming back to a war-torn country, but what do we have coming from there? Well, uh, we don't have any media coming out right now. Um, the, the Taliban are not going to allow that for uh, the foreseeable future, if ever. This yes. news that we have is good news for the entertainment industry, however, because one of the award-winning directors from the Cannes Film Festival, um, sh- oh, I am going to pronounce or uh, just cannibalize her name, and I am so, so sorry, everybody. It's Shurhabano Sadat. Oh God! I think that was a good that was a good guess. That I, I am so sorry. <laughs> probably the best. I, yes, I, that's that's it. I think that's it. Good job, Miss <laughs> Sadat. She uh, is an award winning uh, director. She's won awards for uh, Wolf and Sheep in 2016 from the Cannes Film Festival and um, from the Orphanage in 2019. And uh, it's the fact that one, she's an Afghan female. Mm-hmm. Two, she's getting out of the country safely. Thank God she's getting with the French government and they're getting her out of the country. Uh, her uh, management doesn't really have too much contact with her right now, but she is in a safe area. But I am so interested in watching um, The Orphanage, dude. It's an Afghan made film made by a female Afghan as the director. Oh, man, I am yeah. very interested in seeing this. Well, coincidentally, we're in luck because that's going to be our movie that we're going to break down next week, mm. right? The yes, Orphanage, uh, which was made in 2019. You can check it out now on Amazon Prime if you want to get a jump start on that. Yeah, it is $2.99 to rent it. So just be aware of that. It's not one of the free movies, unfortunately. But this time, I I have no qualms about renting the movie. Yeah. Or buying yeah. it. Uh, anything we can do to support that that yeah. area in the in the 
creativity that's coming out of it is awesome. Uh, Absolutely. What, there what's is up with uh, Scarlett Johansson? Yeah, dude. So Disney, there's some stuff going down in the Disney Scarlett Johansson lawsuit. And it depends on who you believe, right? Scarlett Johansson's is it they lawyers, killed her? Huh? Is it because they killed her? No, no, it's not because they killed her. It's uh, it's because of the issue surrounding the release of her film. They told her that it was going to be just like the other theatrical releases where it was going to be only to the movie theaters. And with them releasing it um, coincidentally to Disney Plus, they ended up cannibalizing the um, the box office. Like, yes, they yep. made about $358 million in box office so far um, and 150 some odd million at Disney Plus but that's still 150 some odd million. She's not getting her fair share out of, you know, for yeah, the part absolutely. she played. Um, but Disney is countersuing right now or um, putting in the paperwork to move it to arbitration rather than litigation, which I'm not crazy good on the legal mumbo jumbo and whatnot, but this is kind of what I'm getting from both sides of the aisle. Right. Um, Scarlett Johansson's lawyer wants to get it in litigation because they want to go in front of a judge and they want it public. They want yeah. everybody to see what's going on. They want to air Disney's dirty laundry for the deceptive practices that they're doing to cannibalize one industry while trying to promote their own interests in another. Right? Right. Yeah. It's actually what you have been talking about for almost the better part of a year now of yes. this monopoly that's going to be created with the streaming service. And mm -hmm. once they move over to arbitration, all this is going to be behind closed doors. There's going to be a settlement yep. and no one's going to know what happened. And it'll be an mm -hmm. NDA. Nobody signed. can talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. So she's trying to move it over to make it public. Yeah. This is an exact quote from her lawyer, John Berlinski. After initially responding to this litigation with a misogynistic attack against Scarlett Johansson, Disney is now predictably trying to hide its misconduct in the confidential arbitration. Why is Disney so afraid of litigation litigating this case in public? Sorry, I couldn't get litigating out. It was like bleh. But what I'm kind of understanding is that with the moving over to the streaming, so my thought like we're both super movie fans. Like we love the movie mm -hmm. experience. Have you been to a movie theater since the coronavirus has dwindled down? Yeah, I have been one time, but it yeah. was right after the virus started um, getting down when the uh, theaters were just open back up and I haven't been in a while. It's yeah. just something so, about the environment right now. I don't trust. Still doesn't feel safe. I, and, yeah. and that's kind of where I'm at myself. Like I normally, it might seem like obsessive for a lot of people, but I'm two or three times a week. I'd go see a movie and be in a movie theater yeah. and just because I enjoy and love that experience. I'm, I love watching movies and, and understanding them and, and seeing the work that, that people put into them. But oh yeah. I haven't gone once. Um, so yeah, I, do I don't know if it's, if it's still a dying industry. I don't, I don't know when that's going to kind of like come back, but apparently there's, like we were talking just a few weeks ago, there's still money to be made by putting butts in seats to watch yeah. a film inside Absol a movie theater. Absolutely. Uh, Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow proved that, dude. $378 million in the box office with only $150 million made on streaming. Oh, dude, it proves that people want to go back to the theaters. They want to pay for the candy. They want to take their girl or guy out on a date. They want that experience, you know? Because it's still yeah. an experience. Whether or not it's safe, it's still an experience. And if you're safe about it, it is plenty safe. You know? It's just with my leg, and uh, if I get sick, I have the chance of really damaging my leg because I have a rod, a bunch of screws, a cadaver bone, and stuff like that. I just don't want to take the risk of possibly catching something and getting a secondary infection that could leave me with no leg. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, me, on a lesser scale, I, I don't have any physical damage to my body, but I just am probably like what I think the majority of Americans are at the moment as well is just trying to be conservative and in, in your thinking daily on a basis. What is the best decision for me and my family? Do I want to risk yeah. going to a theater where everybody's breathing and coughing and it's the same air and, or do I just going to watch what's streaming on TV right now? And 
there's so many good films that are just like coming up. Like H, if you have HBO Max, it's like yeah, they just release oh, that man. stuff. I'm just like I'm wow. <laughs> like, yeah, this is the H- best streaming service ever because it's like it's in the movie theaters and I'm watching it at home right now. It's crazy. Like so, I'm excited for Dune that's coming out mm-hmm. in uh, next month, October, and I'm definitely going to be reviewing that. That's going to be. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. Crazy, yeah, to talk about, but it, the, that that's just coming out like the day it's released in theaters. It's so crazy that we can just like watch it on your on your TV when it's in the theaters. Such a big change. I believe HBO Max has the right attitude with streaming services because they're saying that the movie is coming out at the same time as theaters, but they encourage you to go to the theaters to watch it because they say watching it at home is a disservice to the film and the filmmakers. So those mm-hmm. of us who actually care about the film will make that extra choice to go see it in theaters. I I truly like that way of thinking. Not only are they getting extra people to sub to be able to watch that movie at home, but they're also encouraging people to go out and pay money at the theaters and uh, spend their money there. They're not making it any more expensive on their app. Instead, they're sharing the love with the theaters. And I think that is mwah, double French yeah. kiss, double <laughs> French chef kiss beauty. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, hopefully Disney will, their secrets will, will not be remain so hidden and we'll see something come out of this or hear about yeah. all that. We know there's, that's just how it is. They do it under the disguise of being a, you know, super fr- family friendly company, but you don't become one of the largest in the world at what you do without, you know, uh, having a couple of skeletons in your closet. Exactly. And they're known for covering stuff up. doesn't matter if it's guest suicides or uh, deaths at the parks. It doesn't matter if it's uh, cast member um, deaths or injuries at the parks. Nobody is pronounced dead. Nobody's anything. They're carted off property mm-hmm. to the nearest hospital before anything is said about them. And Disney does that for a reason. They do that for the, uh, the publicity or the lack thereof. You know, yeah. They don't want to be known as the park of dead people. They want to be known as the happiest place on earth where nothing bad can happen. Yeah. Uh, the perfect example of that recently they had under the filming of the, it's that water slide TV show. John Cena was on it for a season, I think. And uh, you know where they bounce off of like inflatable things and they have to do different courses. Yeah. Somebody like- actually, one of the contestants had a heart attack and died and they, they threw him in an ambulance and drove him off the property before they pronounced the death. So that it didn't yeah. count. And, and if I'm, I'm remembering correctly, I believe that's produced by uh, a, a affiliate of a Disney company, maybe ABC or something like that. But yeah, either way, it's, it's standard correct. practice. And, and it just shows that if it's not, if it's not Disney, it's, it's, it's yeah. still something that is, is being done to, you know, say that there's, there's not any, mm-hmm. any issues. Luckily we don't have like any things like, like, or, you know, back in the seventies and eighties when we were making films and, and everything was largely done physically, you know, it was done by a stunt man or the actors that were on there were, were doing very dangerous things. And they would mm-hmm. like literally like there's cases of where like a helicopter crashed and, and killed all the actors that were on set and it was recorded. And, and yeah. it's like, luckily we're, we're past those days because of our green screen and digital advancements but uh you know it's still it's kind of it's much more harder when someone was chopped up by a helicopter to yeah. say they didn't die on set you know <laughs> so, but yeah, there's there's still yeah still doing that throw them in an ambulance mm-hmm. and move them down the street yeah exactly and it's just not it's not something that i appreciate and it's not a tack i like companies doing because if they start that stuff now what's going to happen in 50 years you know where all yeah. the lies and lies and lies build up and they get more and more ballsy lying about more and more stuff. And next thing you know, people will be getting shot in the middle of the face and just disappear. <laughs> Somebody yeah. talks bad about the company, never be seen again, you know, worst oh, case I'm scenarios, sure that happens. still. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that we do see a lot of uh, graphic murders is, uh, is in this film Fear yeah. Street, this is the first of a three-part series. This one is 1999. 1994. And, uh, 1994. Bear with me. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to do we're going to uh go back in time if you will as we do this this three-part series and uh we're going to chop it up for you coming up next. Oh, that was a nice yeah, little we pun get right there. We visit our childhood yeah. <laughs> the 90s, baby. Woo! <laughs> 
I am convinced shadow people are just aliens with cloaking technology. So, you know, there I have a whole well, fucking explanation for it too. So <laughs> the, the great part is how often that we were just talking about this the other day too, how often conspiracy theorists they sound like crazy, but then they turned out to be correct. Like yeah. we had uh oh, the government is making manufacturing weather for us, and then we find out Saudi Arabia is literally making rain in the sky. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not it's seemingly on the surface they're making rain, but actually they're just finding conditions that where it's likely to rain, but still nope. they're they're fabricating it, rain. Yeah, and the United States, we made rain back in um Vietnam. We or Korea is one of the two. We would adjust the typhoon season and um prolong it by putting different chemicals in the sky to help us with our attack. Yeah, I mean, so, we made it illegal since then. It's not legal to do any sort of atmospheric, uh, like, fucking with. But it's still something we did. And it is documented. Well, yeah. You could technically just drop a nuclear bomb. <laughs> and that also fucks the weather up, too. So I can see why it's a good reason to not do that. But Yeah. yeah to not purposely and, and attack So it just kind of makes it seem less crazy when people talk about pigeons being, you know, government mm-hmm. drones and shit and how they're charging when they're sitting on the electrical wires. I think it's right? hilarious, That's but I know weird, but <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious, but I know we have technology that, that looks like more like insects flying around. That's actually mm-hmm. drones. Cause I've seen things like that or not. I don't want to sound like I'm crazy, but I've seen things on YouTube like that where they actually yeah. have little, I've little seen... drones that fly around. I'm sure the battery yeah. life doesn't last very long, but you know, yeah, I've seen drones from this size, like uh size of a silver dollar all the way up to giant ones that hold cameras. Hell, yeah. I even had a racing one that was about, about a foot longish or so. And that thing went zoop, 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 all over the place. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. It's crazy. How crazy people sound less crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe it's just, and an I'm just thing. saying with shadow people, if you catch them on infrared or like night vision, like their uh, their huh. outline distorts, distorts like it's getting uh, electronic interference. Interesting. Yeah, and I was like, that's odd. I yeah. don't know, but it makes me sound more and more crazy the more and more I think about it, and the more and more I believe it. So you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, just a quick sidebar. I was uh, working on one of the shows I was producing was a uh, ghost show, and mm-hmm. uh, we were. Tr- postulating the fact that when you feel like there's like a spirit or a ghost present, you know how like the the hairs on your arms stand up and Mm -hmm. there's obviously some kind of energy that's there affecting that, right? So we were trying to figure out like ways to capture that and we were thinking like the when you use like infrared uh, cameras which are normally used like for, for dark in the night vision well, mm-hmm. infrared is also the same kind of stuff that can give you a physical uh, thermal type of energy. So, like, you use it in tan. you know, that's uh, it's, it's used to change your, your pigment. You use it mm-hmm. in the microwaves. Uh, it's used to heat up your, your food. So, it, it can have a physical effect on you. So, we're thinking that if we record something in uh, thermal uh, or, or infrared, it would you'd be able to see a different energy that was affecting that, that things standing up on your, on your arms, you know, that energy that is causing that. That makes a lot of sense because some of the infrared, um, or some of the UFOs that the military caught on camera, the best evidence they got were from the infrared cameras. Cause they were able to see around the object, not just the object itself. Yeah. yeah you're able you're to seeing see it's a the different spectrum of light that you're mm-hmm. using. Yeah, interesting. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, well we now are... that we went down that alley, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're coming back to Fear Street, which is also a movie that has really good lighting. I think that was yes. probably one of the strongest points of that film is the amazing lighting that you get sucked to the instant this film starts. It opens oh God, up on it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's totally mm. unrealistic because if a mall looked like. The laser (laughs) center. It doesn't have to be realistic, though. That's the thing. It's been taking place like 20 years in the past. This shit is the 90s, man, where neon lights was a thing. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 
like handicaps <laughs> didn't even yeah. have rights back then. <laughs> so yeah, I know we're, we're in the right. era of like small aisles and, and dial-up modems, which, which mm-hmm. they comically show in the first couple of minutes too. Is uh, it? It's so great yeah, watching so, him like try to hide under the thing and type in. <laughs> yeah, type to his little <laughs> online girlfriend. <laughs> Before we go any further, though, we'd be remiss if we didn't say that there are spoilers going to be uh, yes. afoot. So, you know, if you haven't seen it, this is a great time to stop and check it out on Netflix. You can check it out right mm-hmm. now, all three series. And uh, what, I think the best way to start to break this down is if we do kind of a, a, a summary of, of how it went. So uh, yeah. did you want to uh, tear it apart and see how, what's, what's you, how did you think, what, what happened, what, what so, was going on in Will's mind? <laughs> So this film, and we're, we're talking about the first 1994 Fear Street Part 1. This film, to me, was a perfect intro to the type of world building that they're trying to do, right? The director has come out, and she has said on record that these first three films are really just the testers. If they do well, yeah. then either another trilogy will come out, and it has to be a trilogy. It won't be let alone movies. Unless the standalone movie makes sense, but most likely it'll be a trilogy or a TV show is going to come out and expand on the RL Steinverse thing. Yeah. So in this, the first series, we have a, the best way to put it here. It's, it's a slasher film. It's, it's a slasher. RL Stein, the fear street series was, uh, novels that were targeted mm-hmm. towards teenagers so it's yeah. a little bit more graphic a little bit more risque there's you know a few like sex scenes in here and uh more no nudity, dealing with yeah. relationships which is you know things more teenagers are interested in than then your run-of-the-mill you know um slappy ghost you know ghost uh, what, I'm, what am i trying to say like just uh regular slasher guy is doing it because yeah, you over the kids goosebumps that's what it was friend or blah. yeah the goosebumps yeah, it, were just you know fun fun scary yeah, things this was actually graphic more more mm-hmm. scary so it's a, a slasher film this one takes uh the it, the approach of a witch uh seraphir mm-hmm. and there's the legend that is is very similar to like Romeo and Juliet kind of feel. There's east and west kind of vibe in these two these two states. They kind of fight it out towards each other. They compete against each other. And uh, and there's this there's this lore going around that that this town is cursed from a witch, um, Seraphir, and mm-hmm. it, it it turns out that. While these two teams, these high school, it's obviously focused around high school students. Um, while they are competing against each other, something happens to cause this uh, curse to reemerge. And you see all these uh, characters pop up. So that kind of shows us that there's more to, like, obviously yeah. there's going to be more stories in, in typical Arlstein fashion. There's, each yeah. one looks like it's got a great backstory. My sc- my my biggest uh uh the the scariest one to me was the priest that plucks the eyeballs mm-hmm. out of little kids. And yeah, it, which that also one... just goes to show you that this is not a kids book. Um Yeah. This isn't a kids movie. This really is a movie for the older generation. Um I love how they are taking the uh new approach to it. New approach to the regular slasher instead of being just one dude that's invincible or one group of people, they're making it that witch, right? Yeah. And she is Who presumably is the one sending mm-hmm. out all these different characters to kill exactly. and, and maim people. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of this is tied around this old legend, this old poem that has been tra- um, passed down from generation to generation in um, Shadyside. And uh, here is the poem. I'm going to recite it to you guys now. She reaches from beyond the grave to make good men her wicked slaves. She'll take our blood. She'll take your soul. She'll follow you until you're dead. Well, everything was good rhyming until the last word. But I know, we get right? the gist. Yeah. <laughs> and, and almost, if you lose the word dead, it's almost kind mm-hmm. of like sexy. Like I would yeah. like to be pulled into her, you know, <laughs> it sounds like a good thing. <laughs> but 
you know, of course we find out, no, it's it, basically she's like almost like a demon or like kind of like working for the devil kind of feel mm-hmm. like these people, there's trapped souls and each one is, like I said, its own character that we're hopefully going to have this whole fabulous backstory to that they're going to break down in future episodes. And, uh, you know, the the teenagers of this school have to find a way to break this curse and, and find out what she wants. And mm-hmm. later we find out that there's a, there's a lot of uh, symbolism with blood and, and the yeah. people bleeding onto different artifacts that, that attract her. And ultimately they're trying to these these killers are just trying to come after one person to drag them back and and basically steal their soul and 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 put them under her control Mm -hmm. so yeah obviously it's you know elaborate plan comes out to to get rid of her we find out that this has happened before in the 70s and this lays down the framework for the next two movies which go backwards in time instead of forward like uh yeah like traditional I guess interesting. star wars method is what we're using <laughs> star wars yeah. the star wars breakdown we start at the end and work our way back <laughs> yeah but unlike the star wars breakdown this movie actually made sense why they started in the end and went backwards <laughs> you know <laughs> and, and, and that was the fault of the Star Wars methodology was starting at the end and working your way back because you've limited yourself. So they can't mm-hmm. go anywhere once they get to one. So they have to yeah. just keep going. They have to bounce back to the beginning and start going forward and push all the way to seven. And then once people are still interested in it, they, they can't keep going further because then you're going to turn into a weird Rocky situation where you have Rocky nine, mm-hmm. Rocky 10. It just keeps yeah. going, you know? So, so then you have to start building your characters, which is kind of where Arlstein started is just yeah. back, back, backstories between all these characters and each one looks like it's going to be an awesome movie and hopefully we'll see i I think we will see more because the the cinematography was awesome the oh uh, god so beautiful storyline is kind of a it it does feel a little teenager-ish like you feel like it's there's there could be more complexity there but Mm -hmm. it's just enough that it feels like it it it's okay you can you can follow through the music was dynamite yeah, the first time I watched the film or the trilogy, because I watched it twice for the thing, for the notes and stuff. The first time I watched it, I, I did get that whole uh, more like edgy teenager film, right? Yeah. Um, where like the adults in the film really don't do much. It is the teenagers that are the heroes, you know? Um, for instance, the bus driver from the first, like, the kids were throwing beer bottles at the back of his bus and he didn't pull over or do anything at all. Yeah. And he let the kids like open the back. Like uh, uh, it's very much okay. a kid's universe, a, a teenager's yeah, yeah. universe. Definitely a teenager's universe, which is perfectly fine going into that movie. You know that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because so um, many times I'm thinking like, why wouldn't you just go tell your parents or where are the parents when these, when these people are breaking into the house and like, like, stabbing people in the face like where where is an adult at this point you right? know? and why is it yeah. so dark why is it where what happened to street lights like like put street yeah. lights oh so, man this movie was so dark and it was so wonderfully dark though like everything was beautifully lit but yeah. minimally lit which is how i like things yeah, and in true 90s fashion, it's a lot of, like, low themes, like you have neon lights and mm-hmm. just the mall, I think, was was very beautifully done. And it was shown, like, you kind of get that vibe, like, it's after hours, the mall's been closed down. It, I, I worked in malls, and yeah, that's kind of how it is once the mall's closed. Things just, mm-hmm. the lights start turning off on you, and you're just kind of, it's just kind of a weird, eerie feeling. And I felt like yeah. it was captured in the film. Oh but yeah, beautiful. I, 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 yeah, I love the use of of all these different neon colors and the reflections that you see off their faces. It's it creates this whole uh, interesting dynamic when you're looking at you know when you're looking at a scene. Is there's just so much more to see yeah. with these these different colors that that are atypical. You don't normally see them in, in other uh, media forms. Yeah, yeah. What absolutely. uh, what's, what shots stand out to you in your mind? Um, I, oh goodness gracious. Um, 
in the this is the first film sorry uh i was going to bring up a shot that was from the second film that i absolutely loved well we're um, not there yet buddy so you better reel it back yet. in yeah the first film um one of the beginning shots actually i really enjoyed which was the um movement across the books in the bookstore oh yeah the very first movement was movement across robert lawrence books which is rl stein and it was all the books that are like basically coming up in the series and was the series was based off of oh, was a little really, easter egg in there yeah i love that little addition you know it it was apps like i i liked it it was something that was really quick and it's something that wasn't explained and it's just it was really cool I, for me like one of the things that stand out was the intensity of gore in this like mm-hmm. And the perfect example of it was this shot where one of the teenagers gets thrown into like a meat grinder. Oh and God, just, yes. But head first. So their brain just gets split into like a hundred pieces and it's just like so bloody and it's gory. Yeah. And, and wet. <laughs> it's just, yeah. But it's, it's also like, it reminds me of like when we talked last week about, you know, the suicide squad, that mm-hmm. that intensity of gore just stands out in the first 30 seconds of the film. Like this is how mm-hmm. gory it's going to be. And it, it just continues on from there. And, and it's yeah. almost to that level where it's in HD, it's shocking, you know, <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to see that, that, that kind of stuff happening. And you don't think it's going to happen. Like you, it's cause you're reminded like this is an RL Stein. So like I've, personally think back to like goosebumps and things when you watch those shows and how Mm -hmm. playful and childish they were. And then, you know, like you get, you get this nice jump scare because they, some teenager got axed in the back of the head and there's just like, you know, that crunch and like juicy sound, uh, Mm -hmm. really good AM, AMSR, ASMR on it because you can just hear all that crunching. Ugh. But, uh, yeah, that, 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 that kind of stuff for scenes wise, that is one that stands out, which is going into that meat chopper and uh, mm. really, yeah, I like the playing in the, in the grocery store. And we have this whole battle that ultimately leads to the gross. I thought it was really unique and fun that we're dealing with. Like they realize it's, it is the lore to the draw to blood. So, yeah. you know, we, uh, and the, the, uh, school scene when they yeah. uh, messed around with that and they experimented with that. It was really, they're cool. literally painting their blood and in different trails. It, mm-hmm. It's so that's really creative that they're, I don't know the way the film's going. It's not one of those things you can predict what's going to happen, which is kind of fun yeah. with that too, because it's not overly complex. It is a teenager movie, but also at the same time, you're like, Oh, it's unraveling in a way that is not expected. So it's yeah, it, and, I, and ultimately the, the you know the third part of the series is is that big mind blow that you know brings us in, you know that completes us into Act Two and moves us into Act Three is is I don't want to give it away but you know this this big mind blower that it changes everything the way that the film works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, the film itself is just so interesting when you look at the way that they're connecting these characters to each other and they're connecting these characters to the lore of the story, you know? Yeah. Like they start out, um, you know, uh, all about themselves wanting themselves. And by the end of the film, they learn to not only how to fight these things, but how to work together and how to, uh, eventually overcome them by the third film, you know? Yeah, okay, that's a good point. Yeah, so we see a lot of, in typical teenage fashion, self-centered, vanity. Everybody's mm-hmm. trying to like figure out how they can deal with themselves and, and, and pursue and further their own development. And yeah. they're kind of forced to team up and work together because they see that that vanity and, and that selfishness doesn't do anything. It doesn't, you have to come as a unit and and stop to solve this issue that we have with the witch yeah. attacking yeah it it's i i enjoyed that part of the story i enjoyed the different um cliffhangers they left us on 
and the different uh, change in direction that they would continuously take in the films. Mm-hmm. I really did enjoy that. Um, it, it always kept you on your toes. Anytime I would, uh, the first time I was watching this film, I kept pausing it and I kept talking to uh, my girlfriend about my different theories that were evolving throughout the different films, right? In the beginning, I didn't like the sheriff for a reason because they called him motherfucking evil. <laughs> He's like, people around here call me sheriff good. And he was like, they should be calling you motherfucking evil. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So and, there's already this, there's preconceived notions they're building up and mm-hmm. in, in selling to you. Yeah. And that really made me like instantly dislike the sheriff. But then they would turn around and make him look like, just the typical guy so he's not evil he's just a cop you know he doesn't believe him because he killed the original murderer and then they're trying to tell him that that guy he killed is now alive and he didn't believe him they really make him out to be a little incompetent but good at the same time in this first film you know so subtle that he doesn't even look like an important character exactly Exactly. Like, which then that makes me wonder too, because the very first opening scene is this boy getting possessed in a way that, you know, he starts to, he becomes the killer. The Mm -hmm. witch does this curse and he, you know, basically becomes a vessel for her and she attacks and and, and he ends up killing a few people before the cop kills him. And it's so subtle, you don't even know that this guy's an important character. He's just the guy that, that shot the killer at the beginning. And it's just like, Oh, he's just a cop, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, that was, I really like that. I didn't, I didn't remember that, but now I'm thinking about the beginning. Yeah. It's, it's all laid out in the opening scenes, even. Yep. And then right after this plot. Exactly. And then right after he kills him, um, it goes into like the intro of the movie. But only the first movie has an intro. They wrote it and uh, they wrote it as one continuous story and they filmed all three films back to back. They didn't take off any time. It was done in like a four or five month time period. They just got all the filming done. And originally they wanted to release it to the theaters, um, you know, part one, part two and part three. But then the pandemic and everything and, you know, so streaming it goes. The entire series is laid out in the intro from start to finish. Uh, it tells you the story between the two cities, the sunny side and shady side. It tells you exactly who started this entire thing by, uh, uh, the witch and, uh, about Solomon and about, uh, union and everything that they're going to explain later on in the films. But for someone who has seen the films, you can tell that they literally give you the entire storyline in that 30 second intro. Yeah. Yeah, it's the the whole thing, which is nice, though, because I think that's the trickiest part of new age storytelling is that, you know, films used to be, you know, our TV shows used to be like cyclical. They would end where they begin, and it's just kind of an easy way to tell a story and move on. But now what I think is incredibly challenging is to have like a three-act structure in the first one, second one, third one, but then have an overall arching uh you know, character plot and story line that is still, you know, following a three act mm-hmm. structure, but on a larger scale over three movies and yeah. laying that groundwork at the beginning kind of helps move the audience through it. It's, it's like, uh, it's, it's like the intro to before you, you take a flight, you know, they tell you everything that's going to, they lay it all out for you. So, you know, everything to expect. And then, when you experience it, you experience it different because it comes with more detail and mm-hmm. more, uh, you can build on it a lot better. Yeah. Like for instance, when they got to the third movie and they introduced Solomon and everybody else, I didn't know who he was or what his importance was, but I remembered the name from the first movie's intro, you know? Yeah. So it helped it me teased, recognize yeah. that this character had something to do with something. Yeah. And to do pay more think- close attention to him. I've always thought about like working on like, you know, for example, TV shows or 
if you're doing like a trilogy in a movie series, I think in, in, in my mind, this would be like if I was working for Disney, because I feel like mm-hmm. they would be the kind of people that would do it. But w- that format of filming all three movies in one go, do, do you think that you would eat, be able to do that? Me, I, I, I definitely wouldn't because I, when I go and film, I put it all out there and I work, you know, like 16 hour days mm-hmm. at minimum because they pay by the day. So they get their money's worth. And I just lay it all out there. So by the time I'm done, I'm just so exhausted that I need, you know, time to recover and recoup. And I couldn't imagine having to film one movie, but three in in the same production timeline. Or does it just feel like that's just, it's just one project? Well, Well, usually a production is about one month to two months for a feature film, right? Not a TV show, but a feature film is usually about a month to two months for filming, for main... Mm -hmm. Uh, photography however uh with this movie they just did everything in like a five month stream and i don't know man filming five days a week 12 to 16 hours each day for five months straight well one the paychecks are holy shit nice (laughs) no yeah you're you're done for the rest of the year yeah Yeah, you don't have to I, I mean, I, I don't know if I, I wouldn't mind doing that. Only working five months straight and then having to be able to take seven months off to recuperate and relax, dude. It will allow me to get my next five-month project, like, ready and in the bag, you know? I don't know. It's 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 an interesting model. It's definitely something that we should think about because it could possibly help us with the whole, like, 16-hour workdays to be able to get that down to 12, because that is something that the um, the Screen Actors Guild and IATSE are bringing up right now to try to uh, come to an agreement with with the Producers Guild and things like that is uh, maximum 12-hour days with five-hour – or Yeah, manageable days. You know, 12 hours each day with five days working a week. Seems like after a lot of people did that in the pandemic, they just don't want to go back to 16-hour days, seven days a week, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, so, it's it's – it's so much work and when you put in those days, but also it doesn't feel like you're working, if that makes sense, because it's like yeah. at the end of the day, you love what you do and you want to put so mm-hmm. much passion and you put everything into it because it's what you love to do. Like I love building sets and I like doing mm-hmm. the lighting for it. And it's just so exciting to be part of, you know, the, the vessel that is, you know, production and, and yeah. see everything about it. And even if I wasn't getting paid, I would probably still be on set just so that I can watch everybody do their parts. Because once everyone is a fine-tuned machine and, and everyone's going and you're part of it and you feel like mm-hmm. you're, you know, one of the little bees in the hive, it it just, it, it it's not work. It's, it's fun. It, yeah, and... um I think I may be unique in this um, thought, but I believe that is one side of the double-sided sword. I think yeah. both sides of the sword are equally sharp. Because, yes, I love to work and I love to be on set and I love to be you know, part of the colony and be able to build the, the piece of art that we're going to be watching. But also, when you're working so much in a week that members start falling asleep on the road, they're making yep. accidents and getting hurt on set it's becoming an unhealthy and dangerous workplace. I don't care how much I love to film. I'm not going to work in that environment. I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to, I'm going to, I have issues with that. You know, like 12 hours is fun is good. I don't mind doing it. 16 hours plus is just not worth it for the little bit extra cash you're getting. You know, it's not worth risking your life trying to get home. It's not worth risking your life on set. A tired electrician's and a dead electrician. Yeah, and I think we the sad part is we all know people that have gotten into accidents from falling asleep at the wheel just from mm-hmm. working a production job all day. I, I definitely yeah. know I have. I can recall a very vivid accident in my in my head of a car flipping over and spinning because of the person falling asleep trying to drive home. But yeah. then that also brings up, which is insane now that I think about it, the fact that both of us have on this show talked about sleeping in our cars because mm-hmm. we were working on a set for so long and it just was like not Sounds worth safe. it to go home yeah. because we had to be back in, in a few short hours. And especially like for me, I live out in, in east of uh, LA. So it's a two mm-hmm. hour drive to get to the studios where I film. 
So sometimes I, you know, four hours round trip of just driving. So sometimes I just sleep in the car in the lot and, you know, shower at the gym and I'm back to work the next day. Yeah. I've slept in my car way too much this year. (laughs) But you're right. The the, the appeal is that once it's done, you don't have to work for the rest of the year. And working five months in a row, as long as it's manageable days each day is perfectly fine. When I was a kid, when I was 18 years old, I was a workaholic. I was in the military. I had my military gig, but I was in the reserves. So I had um, a night gig working as a uh, bouncer outside a nightclub and night security. I worked at the mall during the day. And then on the days I wasn't working at that club, I was bar backing and working security at other clubs. I worked so much just because I liked working that I didn't even take into account my own health and my own tiredness. And I wrecked my car when I was 18, Mm. falling asleep on the road, going home. And that's why I'm so against people overworking themselves, even if they don't realize they're overworking themselves, you know, even if they enjoy overworking themselves, it's still dangerous and your body is still going to give out eventually, you know? Yeah. So would you say, in this case, five months of filming is that's that's kind of a lot, right? I mean, we're talking I, a normal movie a month, maybe yeah. six eight, six weeks, eight weeks is a stretch, but five it, five months. It, de- it depends on the worker safety and um, how much the workers are being thought of during filming, because like. 12 hours in a workday is perfectly fine. That gives you enough time to get home. That gives you enough time to eat, spend with your family, get a good night's sleep and be back the next day ready to work. Gives you 12 hours to do that, right? If you work 16 hours, there goes four hours of that. Where are you going to cut that four hours out at? Are you going to cut it out of your sleep? Are you going to cut it out of your family time, dinner time? What are you going to remove from your life to make sure this production gets four more hours that honestly isn't even that good because production drastically drops. It has been statistically proven by IATSE that production on film sets after 12 hours drastically drops and you get more out of filming. If you just let them go home and come back the next day, more energized and ready to work. Yeah. And at the cost of, you have to just, it might be worth it just to pay an extra day for the set, you know, <laughs> just, yeah, just- it's a little bit of money. These major blockbusters, they're burning cash on. Did you hear what fucking, um, um, Jurassic Park? Uh, they hired a earthworm trainer for $500 a day. Huh. And they I didn't even that. use the shots. <laughs> so I'm just saying they have the money to make sure that if they have to do an extra week of filming so their crew can get the proper amount of rest and come back better. They have the cash. They just have to be willing to make that decision. Yeah, they already recycle those sets so much anyways. If you book a, a, for example, if you rented a house to film in, you got four Mm -hmm. or five sets there. You're using the backyard. You're using the side of the house. You got one, two, three bedrooms, the intro, the front door. Like they jam so much into it. So just paying an extra day to get another shot tomorrow, it almost seems worth it. But Fear Street 1994, yeah. would you <laughs> recommend it for people to watch it? I thought it was an awesome movie. It kind of hit all the check marks for me. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, I like Arl Stein. It yeah. was a, a good story. The There was no major characters in there as, as, as far as I'm concerned, but I actually like that mm-hmm. because it gave me an opportunity to, you know, see these, these characters I don't know and these actors I don't know. Uh, the cinematography yeah. is great. Lighting was amazing. Uh, there was a lot of creative shots in there. Music was phenomenal on point for 1994. So many songs I yeah. love that I forgot about and, and heard, you know, again, and yeah, it was just like, dude. this, this freaking rocks. Like I was just like, <laughs> they're, you know, Nirvana. It's nice stuff. nostalgia. Yeah, exactly. It's a really good nostalgia. Maybe it is, is made for people our age. What do you think? It, I, I think that the writers and the directors did such a good job with the world building that it's made for everybody. It's made for the people that grew up during that era because they could see a realistic representation of that era. But it's also really amazing for the kids that you know grew up nowadays that's never seen the 90s because they got a realistic look back into what it was like to be a kid in the 90s. I mean, a Hollywood version of a kid, but still a kid yeah. in the 90s. Yeah, carrying um, that big-ass CD player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, corded phones. Yeah, that was a big thing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah, it's just it it shows so much different stuff that kids nowadays just wouldn't even know. You know, a lot of people are like, "What is that?" Like, you used to have to listen to disc. Like, <laughs> is that a tape player? What's a tape? Oh yeah, the struggle was real. <laughs> back oh then. man, and it's surprising how much of the fashion styles are repeated. <laughs> this mm-hmm. current, it's it almost didn't even look any different. Yeah, it's maybe it's too like much flannel. They, we went out the '90s, went in the 2000s fashions, and came right back to the '90s. Yeah, now. yeah. <laughs> but I, I love this film. I really did. I love the the world they're trying to build, the R.L. Steinverse they're trying to build, because I think he has a lot of um, stuff to like draw from. You know, he's written a lot of books throughout his life, and depending on how well they write these films and these TV shows, they can really pull in unlimited resources honestly and get a decade two decades worth of films that people will watch if they're quality Mm -hmm. absolutely and i think the groundwork was laid for this universe very Mm -hmm. well in the first one and even the ending which brings us into what we're ultimately going to talk about in part two and three next week the that the fact that this happened before you know in the 70s There was a survivor, and she managed to escape the the wrath of this witch that is trying to consume the souls of of, of these people that they're laser focused on getting, and, and mm-hmm. she's unleashing this army of characters on them. Uh, somebody escaped it, and the next goal is to figure out how and why. Yeah, exactly, and it's it, it really leads into part two seamlessly. I highly suggest checking this out if you're into horror films, if you're into slashers, if you really want a new take on the genre that's not too overly gory, but still has plenty of gore in it. They do gore in like a tasteful way, if you ask me. Because um, some of these slasher yeah. films are just way overly nastily gory, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Some are just like, if you're talking like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah, stuff like saw. that. It's not even worth watching. It's just a yeah, saw bloodbath. It's not even it's a just, horror story at this point. It's just a yeah. gore film. Mm-hmm. So I really like the <laughs> not tasteful a horror film. Deaths. It's a gore film. Yeah, it's a gore film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I like the tasteful deaths that they did in um, this one. The tasteful murders. It, it, everything really mixed well. But I, if you're gonna watch this first one, just be prepared that you're gonna want to watch the second one, and the second one's gonna draw you straight into the third. Okay, so absolutely, just sit down when you know you have enough time, or if you like have a weekend and you want to watch one movie each day over a three day weekend type of thing, because you don't want to give too much time in between because these movies do take place right after each other. Yeah, but but get it done within next week because next week yeah. we're gonna have the next episode coming out. So. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely watch it this week. What do we have Definitely. for film of the week? What are you going to recommend to watch in between now and then? All right. So I cannot recommend this enough. It's the Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf. The one that I talked about earlier that just came out today. I highly recommend watching it. If you're into the Witcher at all, or you want to watch some sort of fantasy, um, fantasy adventure, uh, humans versus witchers uh, type of thing. It's really, it's really good. It's really good. It's really worth the watch. It's very well made. The animation style is beautiful. The story is really good. The action is, it's nonstop from start to finish. It's an yeah, hour I, and 48 minutes long, I think. And the entire time I'll sit and up eating popcorn. Like, Oh, what's next? What's next? Oh, murder. Oh. <laughs> I, I, can't recall a time where we've loaded up so much homework for the audience to to consume in between a week. So we have Fear Street 1, 2, and 3 for you to catch up on. We have <laughs> yeah. Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf, the animated movie mm-hmm. um, on Netflix, I presume as well. And yes, also in preparation for next week, The Orphanage, which is on Amazon uh, Prime Video. And yes. that's a $2.99 rental, which you can check out now or purchase for $9.99. And uh, we will uh, let you consume all that <laughs> material. Don't mix them up because it's it, what's going to be a lot of like crisscross of weird things. Going to be talking about mm-hmm. witch murders and uh, orphans and, and, and witchers. So <laughs> we, we don't, I'm not going to know what's what next week. That's <laughs> pretty much all we're saying. <laughs> But that's why we're Uncovered Cinema, baby. We uncover the cinema. We get people to watch stuff, you know? 
in the meantime, you are welcome to check us out at Uncovered Cinema or on Reddit at r slash Uncovered Cinema. And yep. uh, we have so much coming out. Like I, I'm, I'm We're jumping out of my of shoes. I'm so excited. Stuff. Yeah, of all our production meetings. If you could just be a fly on the wall right now of at Uncovered Cinema, it's yeah so great. We it's, have a family, a production family building up. More and more people are coming working with us, and mm-hmm. uh, we have I, interviews lined up. We have a whole studio uh, on East Coast and West Coast. We have uh, just. We've upgraded all our audio stuff. The video yeah. stuff is coming. And like sets, we've been building like weeks you've been working on this set. It looks so beautiful. And I can't wait mm-hmm. to show everybody the uh, the video set that we have coming out, the the live streams. Yeah, I can't either. The Q&As. It's, uh, it's, I'm giddy. I'm giddy. <laughs> I'm very giddy. Very, very giddy, guys. It's exciting time at Uncover Cinema. It's very exciting. We're doing our best to bring you guys good content. And that means we need your feedback. We need to know what you guys like, what you don't like. If you hate yeah, film of the week, let me know, man. If it's too much, just let me know. If you love it, let me know. We need to know, guys. We love your opinion. We love you guys. So rate us on uh, Apple Podcasts. Shoot us a message on the YouTube videos, wherever you want to connect with us at connect with us on Instagram. It doesn't matter. Just let us know how you guys are feeling, what you guys, what you guys like. We want to start a discussion. And also, if you want to see what we're working on our personal lives at the moment, you can uh, check me out at board pro B R D P R O at all my social handles. And I'm will Hoover TV on all the social handles as well. So yeah. And with that, we'll uh, check you guys out next week. Thanks so much for listening to uncovered cinema. Bye.